this morning we are going to continue uh, looking at what it means to seek God. Uh, so hopefully get a little bit more practical today on what that looks like. Um, and while I may have mocked Philip a little bit last week, um, I did realize that probably the best place to start when you consider what it means to seek the Lord in a practical way would be to ask someone like Philip, who has lived a life of seeking God out. Uh, so Philip, if you can come and join me up here. So Philip's going to kick us off for the first um, seven and a half minutes. And then, uh, you know, for preachers, that's uh, quite, a, quite a broad uh, time frame. Uh, just before Philip does kick off, I want to do, just say that there is a comfort room just behind 80 if you go out there. So if your kids are a little bit rowdy and you just want a space to just comfort them, uh, you're welcome to go there. But also, as Inga said, I do want to reaffirm, we want our kids to be with us. And so things may get a little bit noisy, but we really are grateful that they can be with us. So, Philip. Thank you, Glenn. I was really challenged by what uh, Glenn talked about last week. Set your heart to seek his face. In fact, so much so that uh, I've now put it above my desk. Set your heart to seek his face. But when I came to think about it a bit more and had actually discussed it with Glenn, it struck me that we need to know how. Just how do I seek his face? Well, what are the practicalities? So it's going to say this is just practicality. It's nothing inspiring, but real. Um, I discussed it also with my faithful life group. Um, I always do the life group, always comes up with something, which perhaps is something I will mention again a bit later, but thank you. When, as, an, as a student, I became a Christian, what was put to me was that I had to commit my life to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And I did. And that's right. He is my Savior. There is nobody else who can forgive my sin. There is nobody else who can deal with the power of sin in my own life. There's nobody else who can make the kind of promises that Jesus made. And if there's anybody here who has not experienced the liberty and joy of coming to Jesus as Savior, please talk to me afterwards. It's wonderful. I was told to commit my life to Jesus as Lord. And that's a response. It's a response to the sheer love of God in Jesus that he actually wants me for eternity in heaven. That he's given me the liberty of freedom and forgiveness here and now. But Lord, it's from me, is, is, is a kind of distant word. Lord is an authoritative word. Lords have to be bowed to. Uh, lords are distant. It is necessary. Jesus is my Lord. He is my master. But, but, but listen to this. It's Jesus' words. There is no greater love than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. The you can be used as a singular or as a plural. You, meaning Philip Lefevre, are my friend. You, Liberty, are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is about. I have called you Friends. Do you want Jesus to be your friend? Friend. Somebody you enjoy being with? 
somebody you do things with, somebody who talks to you and you to him, someone with whom there is a degree of intimacy which has an effect on your own life and your own lifestyle. We had the testimony recently of a, an Oxford lecturer who uh, spent most of his free time smoking dacha. And one weekend he was just in such a state and heard Jesus say to him, do you want me to be your friend? And it just changed him. Today he witnesses quite openly in his lectures on the reality of Jesus as the one who loves him and died for him and can love you and die for you also. But how do we develop this? It's the, that's the first stage on seeking his face is to know Jesus. He who has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. If he's my friend, there needs to be relationship between us. He will speak to me, I will speak to him. We will joke together, we will be serious together, we will do things together, and there will be that conversation. And so I want just to say in just practical terms, please read your Bibles in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The two go together. Those who are just living by the Bible will end up Pharisees. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They lived strictly by the word. Those who believe the word is of secondary importance, it's the spirit leading me, well, they could end up anywhere. Make the reading of scripture, the listening to scripture, the hearing of scripture, make it part of fr a friendship. A listening, a listening to one who actually wants to talk to you because you're his friend. And you will want to talk to him also about the things you're doing and, well, all sorts of nonsense. It can be. That's what friends are. You know, you can joke with Jesus. Jesus has a marvelous sense of humor. Can you imagine telling a story about a guy staggering around with a plank sticking out of his eye? There must be many occasions, I think, when the crowd giggled while Jesus was talking. Prayer. That's what talking to him is. And yes, sometimes prayer is serious. Sometimes we come aside because we want to be serious with our friend. But sometimes we joke with our friends in the ordinary course of, of life. And Jesus is in for that too. And as we develop that fellowship, we will come to see the face of God. He who has seen me, he's been with me, he who's joked with me has seen the Father, has been with the Father, has joked with the Father. Bible study with the Spirit, prayer, number three. I have seen the face of the Father in the time I have been with you, Lot. The first Christians, one of the important things about their lifestyle was fellowship. They met together in one place. Fellowship is not just an added extra, which is rather nice. Fellowship is where we meet. 
God. We've just been, been singing about that. I hear of people who say, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I, I read my Bible, and, but no, I don't go to church. I don't, you know, really like a people there. Um, you laugh, but no. Fellowship is essential for growth into seeing the face of the Father. Because if I am his friend, so are you. Jesus, I just love your friendship, but I'm not going to mix with your friends. That's a no-no. It's in the fellowship of God's people that I begin to see the face of the Father. Thank you. But praise him, first of all. And finally, I want to say, how do I see the face of God, of my Father? It's in worship, what we've just been doing. I got very excited this morning. I really felt that I was seeing God's face. Thank you, you musicians. Thank you. Adi, where's Adi? Hiding in the corner. But let's make sure that our worship is from the heart and is representative of the lifestyle. If you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets have this message again and again and again, one prophet after another. On Sunday mornings, your churches are full of praising people. On Sunday afternoons, they're all at home trying to work out how they can get money for as little as possible, watching porn, doing anything but acknowledging my presence. Worship comes out of our lifestyle. When we've finished singing holy, 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 we go to live holy, holy, holy in the power of the Spirit that my friend has given to me. Worship, worship him, but worship him in the fullness of a spirit life. When you go out that door, the spirit is with you. Please live as he lives. Scripture in the spirit, prayer in the spirit, fellowship. Jesus said, if you dwell in me, and my words dwell in you. Ask, prayer, whatever you want, and you shall have it. This is how my Father is glorified. You are to, be, to bear fruit and to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, says Jesus, so... I have loved you. Dwell in my love. If you heed my commands, you will dwell in my love. As I have heeded my Father's commands and dwell in his love. I've spoken this to you so that my joy may be in you, eh? and your joy complete. This is my commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, eh? that's the sting in the tail. There is no greater love than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is about. I have called you friends, because I have disclosed to you everything 
that I heard from my father. You didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. This is my commandment to you. Love one another. Sure. Thank you, Philip. Maybe I should have got him to speak after me. So, um, what's really great is that, well, I think what I love about that, Philip, is just the kind of overall picture of what it means for us to seek God. And uh, I was really encouraged after last Sunday just hearing feedback from uh, many people within Liberty uh, that there is a genuine heart to seek the Lord, right? We want to seek the Lord. We really do want to. Um, life happens and things get in the way and there's obstacles and sin and our laziness and all these things. But for most of us, there is a deep, genuine desire to seek the Lord. Uh, and so I had kind of an overview of what it means to seek the Lord, a whole bunch of various things um, of what it means and how we can seek the Lord. Uh, but as I started looking more and more into them, it's turned out to be almost a series. There's just so much in it. Um, and so I think it is helpful uh, that Philip kind of gave us a broad overview uh, so that as we look at each individual one, we don't think it's isolated, but that there is this broader picture under which all these things fall. Uh, and so as we look uh, to the Old Testament in many ways, the story of the Old Testament is in Israel who keeps on not seeking the Lord. And so all the prophets keep coming and uh, trying to return Israel back to seeking God. Uh, and so we see uh, through two chronicles, uh, he talking about Rehoboam did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And so it is evil for us. We, we end up in a life that's not of the Lord when we don't seek him. Uh, 2 Chronicles 15, for a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. 2 Chronicles 16, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. 2 Chronicles 26, talking about King Uzziah, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Jeremiah 10, for the shepherds are stupid. And did not inquire of the Lord. You're stupid if you don't inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all the flock is scattered. Isaiah 65, I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation who did not call on my name. And lastly, we see James in the New Testament. He writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, to promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so we see this phraseology of approaching God or drawing near to Him or turning to Him and recognizing that without a life of seeking God, we're going to live stupid lives. Yes? We're going to live it based upon our personalities. We're going to live it based upon our upbringing. We're going to live it based upon what the culture is telling us is right. But what we see throughout Scripture is that actually we need to be a people who are constantly seeking God in all things. And so, how do we seek the Lord? I want to kick off with Acts 2. Uh, you would have heard this a thousand times in Liberty, and I'm glad. Acts 2.42, which has helped us to kind of form a framework for us as a community. And so we want to be a people who love God and love others. Get that from the Scriptures. Uh, we see the Lordship of Jesus where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Um, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so that is what we want to be, a people who are growing in love for God, growing in love for one another, making disciples. As a community, we specifically feel about family, community, and the priesthood of all believers, and all of those things obviously found within Scripture themselves. But then Acts 2.42 is kind of the how part around it, which gets us into that place of loving God, which is a commitment to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And so we want to be a people 
who are committed to those things. Uh, the beauty about that Acts 2.42 is that it says uh, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That's before the comma. So the apostles' teaching and fellowship. We, we have to do this thing together in community. We separate ourselves from the community. You can find very strange stuff in the Bible. You really can. You can convince yourself and prove anything you want if you remove yourself from fellowship. And then the breaking of bread and prayers. And so, Philip, today you'll be glad to know that we are focusing on the apostles' teaching, the scriptures. Got to be a place where we start. Not devoid of all the other stuff, but the apostles' teaching, the scriptures, is just so profound for us. If we want to learn how to see God, we can't just disappear onto an island somewhere. We have to find within the scriptures how God reveals himself, how God reveals that we even seek him and find him. Because if we don't find ourselves in Scripture, we're going to find ourselves with the God of our own making. God has revealed Himself through the Scriptures. Paul writes to Timothy and says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God, saints who belong to God, that you may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So what do we need to be equipped for every good work that God has for us? The Scriptures. We need to know them. They need to be on our lips and in our minds. They need to be central to our lives. It's why the Scriptures are central to our spiritual maturity in liberty. Because if not, then the direction that we go and how we try to mature in God is just going to be left to the gift that's standing in front, right? What I think is important, Matt and I, we never argue, do we, Matt? Never. We think exactly the same all the time. No, we don't. But if the trajectory of this church was left in my hands, it would end up in a particular direction. If it was left in Matt's hands, it would end up in a different direction. And so we need the body to be able to challenge one another, to say, this is what I see in scriptures. And for somebody else to go, well, this is what I see. By the unity of the Spirit, how do we come to a place of better understanding? Like the Bereans, who checked everything that was taught to make sure that that is what the Scriptures said. Not just left to me to tell you what I interpret the Scriptures to be and for you to run off and live your life, well, this is what Glenn taught. We've got to know what is written in the Scriptures. It's got to not just be central to liberty as a church, but to your individual life. If you want to be equipped for the work that God has for you, you've got to have the Scriptures in you. And now I'm not saying we're all going to be Philips. We're not all going to understand the Scriptures to the level that Philip does. But God will give us understanding of the Scriptures for what is relevant for our lives to be equipped. But we look at that and go, why do I even need to start, right? I'm just never going to be there. I'm not even going to start. No, it doesn't work like that. If we're faithful with the little, God will mature us and grow us and entrust us with more. So some of us are going to understand the more nuances of the Scriptures. But for the vast majority of us, Jesus wants us just to be like children. To read the Scriptures and come to Him with Him and going, This is what I understand, Lord, help me. Help me to understand and to implement this in my life. The Scriptures must be at the center of your and my understanding. When we interpret the culture, when we interpret our jobs, when we interpret how to treat our wives and our families, when we interpret how to do a particular business deal, what's wrong with having two invoice books? Multiplication, right? Until we look at God saying, those who measure with unfair scales are going to attract my judgment. Then we go, oh, maybe there is a different way. Maybe there is another way to do this. We see the scriptures at the center of Jesus' life. I think that's the one thing I love about watching Jesus. I don't know if you've watched the Chosen series. But what is beautiful about that is I love the way Jesus is just doing life, and then scripture starts coming out of him. He, a, a particular moment happens, and then he'll talk into it, but with scripture. It just flows so naturally. And I think as we look at that life of Jesus, I think that's what he's wanting for you and me. That the Bible doesn't just come out on a Sunday when we gather together. An irony of ironies as I'm preaching on the scriptures today. I left mine at home. So that's just the Lord going, nice one, human being. But the scriptures have to just be so in us that when we are talking to a person, that the scriptures come out. We don't have to, James 4, 2 says, blah, blah, blah. 
but that it's just part of our thinking. And as we talk, the truth of the scriptures come out. The teaching gifts. I'm so grateful for the Phillips, for the Mats, and for the ever-increasing preachers that are coming through this church and helping us to understand the scriptures more. I truly am grateful for them, but they're not enough. They're not enough. They're here to help us to understand the scriptures, but in a way that the scriptures become our own. That we get to own them and it begins to shape and change our lives, that we get to engage with the word of God. If the teachers aren't equipping us how to read the Bible for ourselves, they're not doing their jobs. Then they're just dispensing secondhand information, and that's not going to get us anywhere. Jesus wants us to understand the scriptures more clearly for ourselves. Because he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, yet it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so as we read the scriptures, Jesus is saying, this isn't just head knowledge. This isn't just our statistics exam, just to get those numbers in because they don't have real practical outworkings in life. They do, but he's saying the scriptures can't just be that. They've got to become part of our lives that we can get to the person of Jesus. That's the point. And so we could have one verse of Bible in our hands that would take us to the person of Jesus. Or eight different translations in our homes. Yes, some of them keeping doors open. We've just got so many. And yet miss the person of Jesus. This stuff's got to take us to the person. And so anyone who stands up here with a microphone, I want to say, let's try and listen past the person to the words that they're saying that we may be taken to Jesus. That's where we want to go. The person of Jesus. Who understands the scriptures more, Jesus or John Mark Comer? Jesus or Tim Keller? Jesus or Philip? There's probably a closer gap there. <laughs> but it's Jesus. These guys have to take us to the person of Jesus, that we may understand him more. And I truly am grateful for the teachers, not just within Liberty, but around the world. That's one of the beauties of technology. We can hear John Markoma within seconds. Powerful teachers who open up the scriptures to us, but we can't be left there. Otherwise, we're going to hear the same words that Paul says to Corinthians. Some of you say that I am of Paul. Some of you say that I am of John Markoma. Some of you say that I am of Tim Keller. That's who I follow. And even in this generation, not Glenn, no one ever says that. <laughs> We're going to just repeat it. And that's the beauty of Scripture, right? We've been given these words to say, make sure you don't do it again. Stay with Jesus. Let all these words find them leading us to the person of Jesus. It makes this book alive. That's why I wanted it here, because it makes this book alive. If we read it, like Philip said, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, before our King and Savior, Jesus. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ, the super holy ones. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And obviously the answer is no. Let's all just be with Jesus. Let's all just find ourselves being taken closer to Jesus. If we're quoting our teachers more than the teacher, there's a sign there for us. There are no, there's no life in my words. There's none. There are only, there's only life in the words of Jesus. Those are the words we need to remember. So as people come to unpack the scriptures for us, that helps us to understand. It helps us to put things in order. But when words come out of our mouths, let's not quote the Tim Kellers as much as we do Jesus. Let's quote the scriptures. There's power in those words. We all need to test ourselves because it's a very slippery slope when we're quoting C.S. Lewis more than the scriptures. And their quotes are great, right? You're like, Jesus, why didn't you say that? And you're, oh. Jesus knew what he wanted to say and he said it perfectly. 
Your faith is dependence upon God and not your efforts. So let me just, in that whole framework of understanding the Scriptures, your faith is in Jesus and built upon God's ability and love for you, not your own striving efforts. But He gives us the Scriptures to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not, the more I can accumulate, the better Christian I am. It's not that either. But we do want the words of life in us. And so we come to the Scriptures, not to even just to memorize them, but we want the life of Jesus in us. Meet with the person of Jesus. That even when our Bibles get taken away, that we at least have some quotes we can remember, not just Tim Keller. We have some Bible verses, some Scripture, life of Jesus. Not all have obeyed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. That is where our faith is held, in the words of Jesus. If my faith is held upon the person of Mark Driscoll, when he falls, so does my faith. But if it's in Jesus and his ability, I can have a heart for a brother who has fallen in sin like all of us are so easily tempted. But my faith is in Christ. And I can pray for him. I can encourage him. I can hope the best for him. But my faith is secure because it's found in the person of Jesus, not the person of Driscoll. And so the scriptures call us to faith. As we understand the scriptures more, our faith is founded in Christ. It's built, it's strengthened, it founds its, found, it found its foundations upon him. But then, as Philip said, it then calls us to obedience. Now there's stuff to do. There's a holiness that needs to now begin to take over our lives. The writer of Hebrews says this so beautifully when he says that the two sins that Israel fell to in the, in the desert were what? Unbelief and disobedience. Yes? He summarizes all of their 40 years in the desert to these two words. Because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And to whom did he swear that, he would, that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so it's our disobedience when we don't live that holy life, but also our unbelief when our faith isn't grounded in Jesus himself. And what the scriptures and Jesus is saying to us is that that is built by us spending time in the word. Getting that word to some human terminology, wash over us. Get into our eyes and into our brains to sink down into our hearts. Some of us are far better at memorizing than others, yes? But it's not about the memorization. It's about that life being in us. And taking the little that we have and going, here's my little bread and fish, Lord. And for him to multiply the little that we can retain. If you wanted to get somebody to sin, what would you do? How would you tempt them? Any suggestions? Oh, we were like, I probably shouldn't suggest that. (laughs) Revealing my heart here. What did the devil do? Sin? Sexual sin? Did he bring sexual sin into the world? Is that how he introduced sin into the world? Nope. What did he say? Did God really say? That's how he introduces sin into the world. I'm thinking something, you know, let's show us something. All he does to Eve. Did God really say? Let me just get you to question the word of God. That's the start of all the sin in our lives. And so when a preacher says something, are you going, oh, that's a great word, it sounds true, it feels good, okay, I'm going to live that out, or are we going, words and truth are important here. What God has said is important here. Let me hear what he says, let me read the scriptures for myself and see what God truly said. Because if we don't know the word of God in such a way, our lives are going to be all over the place. This person teaches this, so we run over here. Then there's evangelicalism. We're going to run over here. Then there's holiness movement. We're going to run over here. 
rather than understanding that all these things have an element of truth, but founded in the person of Jesus. That person who somehow manages to hold all these things in well-balanced lifestyle. As the founder of the vineyard said, that keeping that radical middle, we're not off to this side, we're not off to that side, but as the scriptures begin to be more and more of our understanding in our lives, we begin to hold the radical middle. Israel, oh, when is our leader coming in to overthrow this government? Jesus is like, you're missing half of it, buddy. What about the prince of peace who's coming on a donkey in humility? Holding these things all together to find this radical Jesus from whom we need life, right? Because I can't sustain you with my words of life because I don't have any. Jesus has the words of life. And so we've got to not just get others to him, but we ourselves have to stay with him and his word. And very quickly, we, we move away from the scriptures into, and there's many good books written, right? Even the Bible says so. To the end of writing of books, there is none. There's just so many books. But let's find ourselves in the one book, more than any of the others. I'm not saying discard podcasts. I'm not saying discard all these other books. But if you had to measure up the time that we've spent on podcasts, anything else, versus the time we've spent in the Word for ourselves, I wonder what that scale would look like. And that's indicative of what's happening in our hearts and in our lives and what's working itself out. Jesus, I can't understand why I can't fight these temptations until we actually measure the comparison of what we're actually spending our time in. And I don't think God's trying to bring this to be condemning to us. He wants to bring us life. We're coming to him going, God, how do we find you? And he's saying there's a whole bunch of stuff in your life. As a friend, if you cut some of this stuff out and find yourself in my word, your seeking of me is going to be sweeter. You don't have to dismantle all the stuff before you actually get to a breathing space to then begin to see Jesus. But he's going to be right near us. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And I don't think he wants to come, come at us in a condemning way with this, but to rather say, I have life for you and I want to help you set the foundations. Find yourself in my word. The devil not only tempted Eve, but he then tries it with Jesus, yes? says, oh, you're hungry. Hey, man, you can convert this stone into bread. Sweet deal. Why don't you do it? He even says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Then he starts quoting scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. How's that the devil quoting scripture? He's got a head start on us, right? He's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years longer than you and I. So we can't take him on directly. We need to find ourselves in the presence of the one who has taken him on and has beaten him and overcome him. The person of Jesus. And we get to that place through the scriptures as it takes us to this person. If we are to resist the devil and live lives of faith and obedience, seeking Jesus, who is the author and finisher or the perfecter of our faith, we must find him through the word. We've got to find the person of Jesus. Every time you think of your Bible, think of the person of Jesus. Every time someone quotes a scripture, think of the person of Jesus. Every time you think about your quiet times, think of the person of Jesus. This book is just a, a window for us to the person of Jesus. Yet it's so profound and so beautiful and so incredible. As you read it throughout your life, your walk with Jesus, you read scriptures that you read 20 years ago, and you're like, where did all of this come from? It's incredible, and all the new life comes out of it. Because Jesus is taking that little that you've been faithful with, and he's growing it and maturing it and bringing more to us. And so, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they, were united, they weren't united by faith with those who listened. And so we all have access to a book. We all have access to the written words of Jesus. But some of us won't listen. Some of us are going to find ourselves at the end of our lives having read a lot of words, but not listen to the person in the life 
of Jesus. And he's saying, don't be like that. My spirit is here with you. I want you to understand this. I want to give you my life. I want you to find this rest. Come to me. Because he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How do we know that? We read it in the word. We wouldn't know that. We wouldn't be encouraged to know that Jesus draws near to us when we draw near to him unless we'd seen it in the word. And so is the Bible, are the scriptures the very basis upon which you build your life? And that's a question each of us has to answer. Are the scriptures the basis upon which you build your faith and you build your life with Christ? God refuses to appear to stiff-necked and unrepentant people. Yes, we see that throughout the word. And what the scriptures help us to do is to loosen those neck muscles, yes? It's like an anti-inflammatory, spiritual anti-inflam. We get to turn our necks away from our hardened ways and go, oh, Jesus, you have a different way. Do you know what it's like when you've got a stiff neck and you need to try and look in your rearview mirror behind you, right? It's like, I just can't do it. I'm just going to go ahead anyway. And what the scriptures want to do is massage, soften our necks that we can turn and look, Jesus, where are you taking us? Where are you taking us as a church, Lord? Where are you taking me as an individual and our families? Because the word of God is not dead. It is alive. When Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, he walks with them down the road. Can you imagine that? This guy rocks up and you're like, cool, let's go for a walk. He starts unpacking the scriptures. But then there's that beautiful phrase that their hearts burned within them as Jesus opened the scriptures up to them. Does your heart burn for Jesus when you look at the scriptures? Was it kind of a, you know, I know Matt's probably doing his quiet time today. I'm going to read three verses more than him that I can you know, get up on that list of things that Christians are doing. Well, does your heart come alive when you think about it? I have an opportunity. I've got five minutes this morning to find myself in the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to start through his scriptures. Not the You Magazine, not the Heis Genoet. Those crosswords are cool, but we want to find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And he's given us a way through the word. May we not neglect it. May we not neglect it. I think of those guys in Chinese prisons. We have Bibles taken away from them. All they've got is what they've remembered recently. It's all they've got. There was a man who went over to China to go and teach a bunch of leaders the scriptures to open them up. So he starts the meeting. There's about 20 of them. He says to them, um, so like, who, who here? Oh, we, we're going we're gonna to go through Jude. So he, he's printed out some because he realizes not everyone has Bibles. So he prints out Jude for them, hands them out the room, but he's printed five short. So he's like, ah, oh, sorry, you guys will just have to share. So he says, we're going to go through the book of Jude. And the one lady then gives her paper over to the person next to her. And he's like, what's up? He's, she's like, oh, no, I just memorized that last week so she can have mine. He's like, sorry, what? And he's like, what do you mean? He says, she says, no, we keep on getting arrested. And our Bibles keep getting taken away from us. So we memorize them as quickly as we can so that when they get taken away from us, we still have them and we can still process them and be with the Lord through them. And he's like, okay, not quite sure what I'm going to teach you guys here. But then afterwards, he, so he does the teaching, and then he says to them, let me pray for you. What can I pray for you? And so they say, can you pray that we may have the freedom that you guys have in America, that your freedom that you have with these scriptures, the freedom that you have together openly, and he says, I'm not going to pray that for you. For our people have five to six different translations and probably couldn't quote a tenth of what you guys can quote. He says, I'm not praying that for you. You guys have more of the word of God and the experience of the spirit with you. And I wonder if we could find ourselves as eager for that life of Christ through the scriptures without us having to go to prison first. I mean, that would be nice if we could avoid that stuff. But God is incredibly kind, and if that is going to be best for us, then it's coming. But may we not be those who neglect the freedom of the scriptures which we have.
May we be found faithful. On that same day, two of them were going down to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then, this is Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus coming to be with his people. And the scriptures being given to us from centuries past that we may find the true Jesus, the one who says, I am. Moses says, God, who am I going to say to Israel has come? And God says, I am. I am self-determining. I am self-existent. I will tell you who I am. You're not going to make this up. You're not going to come up with the God of your own makings. And the way that he reveals himself primarily to us is through the written scriptures. Would we be a people who are hungry that our hearts would burn within us for more of the word? For more of the scriptures that the person of Jesus would come to know us more, that we would get to know him, that he could truly say, you are my friends. Doesn't that just make all this hard work to suddenly, as Philip said, friends, wasn't it just like, ah. Otherwise we're yearning, we're earning, we're trying to just do all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, come be with me. There's stuff to do, holiness, all of these things. But the way that that's going to become a part of your life is to come and be with me. Your mannerisms that you have like your friends is not because you've studied them. It's because you hang with them. And so your jokes become lame like theirs. You start using phrases. Aaron said something the other day at Mick's house, at, at Sunsurf. Mick was like, where did you learn that? He's like, my dad. Doesn't even think about it. It just comes because it's the stuff I say. My prayer is that we would be a people who just speak the words of life because we're with Jesus. Can we commit ourselves this year? Not to, that's not a new burden to put on your shoulders. Can we commit ourselves in prayer to Jesus to say, Lord, help us to find ourselves in your word this year, but in a way that sets our hearts on fire. That's what I want for us. And that's going to be my prayer. As we look at the hows, the most obvious how for us of to, how to seek God is through the word. But let's ask him right now to burn it alive in our hearts. And then we're going to take communion and trust for him to reveal himself to us. Let's stand together before him. King Jesus, all that we hold our faith upon is because you have said it. It's because you are who you say you are. It's because you are faithful, even when we are unfaithful. You said that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in your name, will teach us everything and remind us of all that you said. And so as we read the Scriptures, Lord, it's not us trying to study for an exam it's us trying to get with the person of Jesus, with you, Lord. And we ask now that as we take communion, even as you open the eyes of your disciples, would you open ours afresh to you, Lord? Their eyes were closed until you opened them, Lord. We can't force our own eyelids open. Holy Spirit, as we take communion with you, as we fellowship with you, as we celebrate your death, Lord, would our eyes be opened again to you? As the devil has tricked us into seeing the scriptures as this textbook 
that is painful to study and read. Lord, would your life come afresh upon us? Would the words that you've spoken to us burn in our hearts? A passion for you, Lord. Lord, you want to walk with us. This is a life you want to live with us. We will not be bound to these four walls of the Scouts Hall, and that's the only place we get to see this Jesus. Lord, we want to be free in you. And part of that freedom in seeking you is through your scriptures. And so all that we've quoted, all that we've said, Lord, would you honor your word? What I've said that is not of you, Lord. What I've said that is with my own slight angle on it, Lord. There's no life in that. It is your words that bring life. And so all the words, Holy Spirit, that any of us have heard throughout our lives, would you bring life to them now, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to just remember for some kind of a challenge, Lord. We want to remember because it draws us near to you and your life is in us. God, we commit this year to you of all the challenges and struggles that lie ahead, all the things you're going to speak to us. I am confident you're going to be speaking to us as a people. I'm confident you're going to be speaking to us as families. I'm confident you're going to be speaking to us as individuals. Lord, I'm confident you're going to be speaking to our children. I'm confident you're going to be speaking in our marketplaces. Lord, we are yours. You said your sheep know your voice. And we seek after you, God. We want to hear your voice. And so even as we act in obedience now and taking communion, Lord, would you reveal yourself afresh as this person, this friend of ours, to us? Thank you for this community, Lord. We will talk about fellowship in the upcoming weeks. Thank you for the saints. Thank you for the gifts you've placed here. We commit ourselves to saying, God, would this word of yours become alive to us? Burn it in our hearts. Let a zeal and a passion for you develop again and afresh in us. When we're tired, would you breathe life into us? Help us to soar with the eagles, to run with the horses. We need you. So thank you for your body, which you broke for us. Thank you for your blood, which you poured out for us. We go and we take communion in remembrance of you, commemorating your death until your coming. Let your word burn in us and make us alive, we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please go grab bread and juice and find someone around you to pray with and just commit yourself afresh to the Lord.